Welcome back to People Analytics. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today, I have with me Carolyn Moore, who is the Chief People Officer at Influx Data. Welcome, Carolyn. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. I'm really excited about our conversation and all the things that we have to talk about. But before we get into that, can you share who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Yeah, so I have been in the HR slash people app space for Wow, close to 30 years. <laughs> and I, th- I got into it um, very similarly to a lot of other people I know, which was we didn't really have the intention to do it. <laughs> it just happened. Um, my original plan was to become a therapist, and I was trying to make some money so I could go to grad school. And so I started as a recruiter. And then I just decided I really liked this space. And so I progressed there. And um, from probably a bit early on in my career, I really realized that I liked kind of the bigger picture um, issues, strategy, et cetera. So worked myself uh, into those types of positions within the people app space um, in uh, a lot of different industries, small companies, big companies, medium-sized companies and such, but most of the time it's been in technology. Wow. So that's really interesting about the therapist interest. So is so I can imagine that a lot of reasons you've stayed in HR probably have a lot to do with the reasons that you wanted to go into being a therapist, you know, seeing people, helping solve problems. Would that be accurate to say? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's exactly right. Uh, you know, I had some conversations with some folks who I knew who were therapist and therapists and um, they actually said to me, Hey, you're doing a lot of the same things that we're doing. You're just doing it in a different context. And I thought, Hmm, that was great. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm going to probably be more financially sound if I stay on the HR side of things. So <laughs> I know those degrees, they can get expensive. <laughs> exactly. so. <laughs> so I stayed. Awesome. Yeah. So what if, you know, you, you said you've been in the industry for 30 years, I can imagine, you know, you've seen it evolve over time. So what have you really enjoyed about being in, you know, a a people leader? Yeah. And I think it's been the, um, increasing willingness to allow HR people ops, what have you, whatever you want to call it, um, into the room and understanding that we are just as much an expert in a piece of the business that's important um, as anybody else. Um, I think it was very difficult early on um, that at least I experienced and saw um, to actually convince somebody of that. But um, I did work for a company way back that's no longer uh, around Sun Microsystems that really challenged that. And that was sort of the beginning of my crusade, if you will, <laughs> to make sure we were all led in the room. Yeah. So I know that a big passion of yours is being a caretaker of your own culture. And so how do you describe that caretaking responsibility that you have? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't believe that people ops or HR or, my, or somebody like myself owns the culture, but we are the conscious 
the conscience, excuse me, of the culture. And the way that I think about it is anytime we are making any changes, anytime there's a transition, anytime that we're looking at doing something new, I really look at it through the lens of the culture and how are how is this going to affect the culture? Cultures do evolve, they do change, um, but you want to be intentional about that change. And so that's where I feel like I come in. Um, mm-hmm. It's taking a look at how might we need to adjust something in order to make sure that this change is successful and that it matches what we're trying to do here at the company. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one thing that you um, do is create checks and balances. Um, so to make sure that you operate within that culture. So what are some of those checks and balances that keep you on course? Yeah. So I'm a firm believer in making sure that everything that we do from a process standpoint, any policies, um, you know, it comes down to performance management, which, by the way, I hate that term. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling with, like, what do I replace this with? Um, but all of the things that we do need to really match. And that's the checks and balances as far as I'm concerned. Now, one of the things that I think is important also is that everybody in the company can articulate what this culture is and what those values are mm-hmm. and how to operate um, in accordance with those things. Um, so I think that that's something that does provide a check and balance sort of situation as well. So if your employees all know, understand, and feel ownership for the values, the vision, the mission, all of those things, they will check each other, including the executives, mm-hmm. on whether or not we're doing what we need to do in order to keep this culture. Um, mm-hmm. I can say in my current company, I hear a lot of that, you know, back and forth. It's like, wow, you know, this is great, but will that change the culture or will that be within the bounds of what we're, t- how we're trying to operate? Yeah. And one thing that you said that stood out to me was that everyone has to be aligned. Every employee should be able to say that culture. And so one thing that I, you know, have learned talking to people leaders and being part of Staff Geek is that you can have a document or you can have something on the wall that has your culture, but that is not it day to day. Your actions are different. So how do you make sure Um, You know, Staff Geek exists to make sure that those actions exist, um, you know, and those words are the same. Um, So what do you do to make sure that those words and actions are uniform? Yeah, well, I think the words are important, but the words have to be meaningful and you have to be able to um, ensure that it's sort of ingrained in you um, as an employee as well Mm -hmm. as you know, any of the executives across, um, across the company. Um, one of the things that, you know, I think about in that regard is, um, a book by Patrick Lencioni called the advantage. And what he has is a a model that I think allows us to look at all of these different, um, uh, areas that we need to articulate in order to have that culture and in order to be a good leader. And so this is something that I know we've done in, at Inflex Data 
um, as well as in another company. And the simpler you can make it and the more, so it takes a lot of time. It's a lot of work. (laughs) Um, You know, the simpler you can make it and the more articulate you can be about what it is that you're trying to do. I think that starts that process. Um, So in a past company, we also utilized this model and we had a, um, a slide that we showed and we do it at this company as well at Influx. Um, we show a slide at every all hands and it's the same slide and it says all the same stuff. And mm-hmm. if anybody has any comments about it, they're invited to talk about it. Um, and I think that helps with the check and balance in a previous company that we did this, we also expected people to commit it to memory. Mm. Uh, but it was, there were very short statements and I thought it was very elegant. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not just that, but that at least starts the process. And then you can very easily take that. And, and for instance, I'll take performance management. How are you um, judging performance at this company in accordance with, um, you know, that culture? For instance, mm-hmm. I'll say at Influx Data, one of the, the values that we have is, you know, the ability to make mistakes and Mm. learn from them, right? So when you're doing your performance management processes, um, which we do kind of throughout the year, we don't have a point in time at all. We have two times when we ask that you just register that you've had these conversations, but we expect those conversations to happen all the time. Mm. But that's one of the things where we say, you know, hey, did you make a mistake? All right. What happened as a result of that? And you can, I think, very easily celebrate that mistake if it drove some additional innovation. And that's all part of what our culture is about. If we're trying to drive innovation, we can't stifle taking a risk and making mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. That is a you know, really refreshing way to think of things because if you if you keep doing the same thing and you know you're good at it, are you going to grow? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So speaking of growth, I know that you're also very passionate about developing leaders and, you know, making sure that those leaders know what to do and know how to support their teams. So tell me about your role in leadership development. Yeah. So um, I'm the person who uses the word empathy and empathetic probably the most in the company. (laughs) Like if I were to be associated with any word, it's probably that. Um, But I've been really kind of preaching this for a long time now. Uh, Kind of the old school approach of being a leader has really been about I got to have all the answers and I'm going to tell you what to do. And it's sort of this, you know, policing sort of thing as well. Um, And I've been really working very hard leadership development wise, particularly with, with, you know, first level and second level managers to make sure that they, you know, take that and kind of sweep that away and think more about being empathetic, understanding what the employee is bringing to the party and helping them to figure out what to do, um, not by telling, but by coaching, by asking good questions. And I think that that's a, um, you know, that's, that's a skill that needs to be developed. Um, but what I find is once leaders have got the hang of it, if you will, it's, 
it makes it so much easier on them, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You lead to a different place. Yeah. And it's interesting when you, when you said the, the policing, my mind just flashed back to, you know, the bad leaders that I had and, you know, the, the things they've said, like, this is a dictatorship, but, you know, one boss told me, um, you need to do whatever I say because I'm the owner of the company. Another one said, and that didn't really motivate me to want to do a good job at all. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know, I think about um, a leader that I worked with um, who was just amazing at this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I still struggle to think about when he ever told me to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yet, you know, all of us would put our bodies on the train track for this guy. Right? <laughs> so it was, um, you know, an experience where I felt like I was allowed to have a lot of room for discretion and I had the ability to ask questions that I maybe hadn't been able to ask before, Mm -hmm. you know, some level of fear. Um, So I think the the secret for him, there were a lot of things about him. I think that were fairly unique. However, you know, I think the secret with him was he entered this leadership journey of his with the mindset that I have specific skills and I know specific things. I can't know everything. Mm-hmm. But I become, as I go up the, the ladder in leadership is somebody who enables as opposed to somebody who is a, you know, straight doer mm-hmm. and I have to be an expert in this. It changes as you, you know, rise higher in an organization. So he really took that enabler role on very directly and very seriously. So, you know, conversations were always about, you know, what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. How can I take away some of the barriers to what you're trying to do? Um mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this, whatever that topic was? Mm -hmm. So that's what I recall about most of my interactions with him. And I thought it was, he was well known as a extraordinary leader. Yeah. And so, you know, as you were talking, there were, you said two things, um, two words specifically, enabler, which is typically a negative word in right. a negative situation. Um, and I really love how it's, you spun it to be positive, how this leader spun it. Um, and also another word was fear. And it just made me realize how much fear there is in the workplace in general. Um, so yeah, can we talk about that a little bit? Because it's something that I think is, you know, is too prevalent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that, about fear in the workplace. And I, I think that just the structure of the workplace has driven that. Um, you know, we've, as a society for a long time, have driven a model into the workplace that's very militaristic, you know, mm. if you hierarchical and yeah. if you don't do this, you get you, this happens, you know, those kinds of things are very, very clear, but in a very kind of black and white sort of way, as opposed yeah. to there's no gray on there. Um, 
And I think we're finally getting to a point where we're realizing that that just doesn't help. Yeah. Doesn't build, um, I guess, confidence. It doesn't build um, responsibility throughout the organization, those, those kinds of things. So one of the things that I've done, um, gosh, for the last maybe 10 years or so is really try to drive performance discussions as more feedback. Mm. That's stop calling management, call it feedback, um, without ratings, Mm. without, you know, anything that that points in the direction of like good or bad, because I just don't think there's a lot of good or bad. There are things that are helpful and maybe not as helpful. There are things to focus on and, you know, shifting from one thing to another. But by, you know, having a five point scale or whatnot or and then, you know, we took the five point scale, which is very much like being at school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then we we decided, oh, well, we're not going to, you know, assign a, a number to it. Now we're going to assign something like, um, you know, e- exceptional performance, things like that. And it's just mm-hmm. categorizing things like that, I just think is an easy way out of actually having real discussion. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, um, and what I mean by that is, Anytime that we're all talking about how we work, we have things that we are really excited about that we've done that we're really proud of um, and things that were just not working. Yeah. And it's hard to, if you're going to be in that kind of a performance management structure, it's hard for you to say this isn't working and this did not go well without thinking there's going to be retribution involved. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, you know, that's why I've taken all of that stuff out. And essentially at our company, I'm, I'm looking at changing it up a little bit to um, be a little bit more helpful, but we kind of have essentially a stop, start, continue kind of um, scenario for giving feedback. Um, mm. But lots more work needs to be done on that. I think that was a, that was a simple way, but I think we have to be a little, little bit more, uh, innovative maybe (laughs) yeah Yeah. I I mean it's and it's hard to to shake after you get out of that environment too um you know I I work with an organization and they do um you know twice a year they do check-ins and um at first I was like an annual review oh my god I'm so scared but it's just you know like you said a conversation let's are you doing the things that you want to do? Are you getting the support you need? Um, do you have any feedback for us? Um, here's what you're excelling at. And it was just so easy. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. And the other thing that traditional performance management processes tend to ignore is the conversation you need to have about the career. Mm. And yeah. so that's another thing to weave in is, so what do you want to do? And, yeah. and what I'm also trying to work with managers on is to have this understanding and this empathy for, you know, folks may not be able to get all of their career goals accomplished at this company. Hmm. So mm-hmm. How can you as a leader help influence them 
even when they move on. And I think what's, what's important as far as I'm concerned is, you know, I'm working in a company that could be, um, the, the person who leaves, even if they're, if they decide they need to, to move on, they could very well be in the decision-making process for buying our products. So, (laughs) you know, let's just be generally helpful, whether they're planning to stay for five years or, you know, two. Yeah. And I think uh, a habit in the workforce is loyalty um, and expecting that and, you know, getting ego in, in when people do choose to leave and grow. Um, And, you know, you can't, you can't fault someone for wanting to do something for themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, we all have to work. So if there's something out there that's, um, you know, attractive, more, be- you know, beneficial, then yeah, don't blame someone for going after it. <laughs> no, no. And it, it just, I, I keep thinking about if that were, if that were me and I was looking for something else, I'd want my manager to help support me in that. But we've, again, set up this structure in society around, around companies and this loyalty. But nonetheless, if we are going to run into financial trouble, we aren't necessarily going to hesitate putting people's names on that list to, to do a riff. So, you know, the loyalty does not go both ways in that regard. So I just, I hate to think about loyalty at all. What I, you know, what I tend to think about is we have something that we have to do here and we want to create the best environment for you to operate in that. And we want to create a situation where you, whatever experience you get from this, you take away as being positive and, and helpful to your career. Yeah. And I know that you're, you know, all about leaders being humble. And I think you really, really have to be humble to, you know, say, yeah, this, this person that I work with that I really enjoy, they're not getting everything they need. Let's explore some options. Right, right. Exactly. I mean, one of the things that, um, I think a lot about is vulnerability in leadership Mm -hmm. and, I think when you can put away that, you know, that face of I know everything and I'm in charge of you, of you, yep. <laughs> you know, kind of thing, it really takes it down to the person to person level. And we're all just here trying to get something done and, you know, making this thing a success. And, you know, along the way, I also want something out of that as an individual. Mm-hmm. And that's true for, you know, everybody who's in that conversation. So I keep going back to Dare to Lead by uh, Brene Brown, who really talks about that vulnerability, like, hey, I don't know everything. Yeah. Let's learn this together. Or, you know, you may have this information that I do not have. And so I, I respect that and I value that. Um, and that's a hard message to a lot of leaders who've been doing it for a long time who really think I gotta, I gotta know everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I see so much value in leaders who are also like, you know, if it's gotta get done, then I'm going to be doing this work by your side, you know, and just kind of rolling their sleeves up and, um, you know, there, there's something to be said about a leader that is vulnerable and, you know, wants to be within, you know, their, their staff too. 
Right. I mean, really understanding the work and understanding yeah. the individuals doing the work. I mean, I think that that's important. Um, what I've, t- I've talked to a lot of, uh, of folks about this is that they don't necessarily want a leader who knows exactly how to do everything, yeah. but they want somebody who's going to guide them and who's got a good strategic mind about being able to think how that work aligns with the mission of the company and how we are going to get to whatever that North star is, um, that we're trying to get to. And that's the, that's the role. You as a leader need to articulate that and be able to show that connection between your team and that North star and how we're going to, how we're going to get there. Yeah. It's bigger picture stuff that you really do need to be real good at. The other stuff, that's why you have people doing the work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hire people you trust and trust right. them to do the work. <laughs> right. Uh, so I know that, you know, we're talking about getting to know people, getting to know their jobs. Um, and I know that's really important for you. Um, it's something that you, you told me when we first connected was that people can't be predicted. So it's important to have those face-to-face conversations, those conversations happening where people are doing the work. Um, so can you expand on that? Yeah. You know, one of the, the areas that I think we ignore sometimes as leaders because we sometimes think we're being a little too nosy maybe, <laughs> is really understanding the employee that you have. I mean, that's a big mm-hmm. part of engagement. Um, and just by running data, you can't figure that part out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like where the motivation is coming from, you know, for instance, um, I, I had just had a conversation with a consultant um, and talking about how important it is to really understand like, what are their kids names? Mm. What, where, you know, where did they come from? How did they meaning, yeah. you know, like what's their, what's their story? You know, the things that, you don't get in an interview situation because yeah. you can't, but you know, you can start talking about things once they're, you know, they're on board. Obviously you have to take cues from the employee. They're going to yeah. tell you what they want to tell you. That's, and that's their prerogative and they're right. But showing that interest and who they really are as a person, I think makes a big, big difference. And until you have that, it's real hard to figure out whether or not you're going to be able to have a trusting relationship that allows for an employee to say, Hey, I'm not happy mm-hmm. or it isn't going well. And I really want to change something. I think that's, it. that's really important. We yeah. miss that, I think a lot. And now with so much AI chat, GBT, et cetera, mm-hmm. you know, all good stuff, but you know, we can't just assume that we're going to be able to make all the decisions that are, you know, possible when it involves a human being with just. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, yeah, exactly. I view it as a tool and to support rather than take over. And when you use it to support, it can do great things. But, you know, that human element tells us so much more. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of chat GPT and AI in certain, you know, areas, certain areas, it's, it's, it's a little sketchy, at least right now. Um, 
But I think you use that, as you said, as a tool, as a way of even beginning a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you can't not have the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I use it to help with writer's block. You yeah. know, if, if I am unsure of what to write, I'll type something in and, oh, okay, now I can say this in my own words. I have something, I have more ideas, I can do this. So it's just when you rely on it, it's that's when things get bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a recent... Um, situation in the news about an attorney who used to hit in the citations oh were incorrect. And so, you know, that to me is just a red flag to just, it's not the thing. It will yeah. help you get to a point where you can say, okay, I can now take this and, and take what I have in my brain and what I know and apply it. Right. Um, I mean, the, the thing that I worry about, not necessarily with chat GPT, but AI specifically. And I was just in a conference about a week ago on um, various things, which also included a fair amount of AI discussion. And it was really about how we've tried to, as a, at least as a function, be very uh, mindful about diversity and ensuring mm-hmm. that we have you know good balanced teams across um, the organization. And now AI applications going into recruiting um, and you know application applicant tracking and selection and things like that mm-hmm. really becomes a, an issue. There, yeah. you know, this is not perfected yet, and mm-hmm. um, the EEOC has basically said we need to watch out on that because that could have some real bias on it. So it's things like that where. It might be helpful from a procedural perspective, but again, it's back to we need to use our, our brains and our knowledge that, that we have in order yeah. to make sure that we're making the right choices. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let's talk a little bit um, about, you know, the evolving nature of HR before we wrap up. Um, so what, I, you know, something that I noticed that is that empathy that, you know, the word that you use is is a running theme over, you know, throughout who's, um, you know, who's shaking things up and who's helping HR evolve. Um, what do you think the HR landscape will look like in, you know, in the future, whether that's five years, 10 years, 20 years? Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to predict actually, because mm-hmm. I don't know that we could have predicted this whole chat GPT AI thing to the yeah. degree that it's, that it's uh, you know, come up now. But what I would say is, um, and I do hope just sort of based upon the conversations I have with maybe the, the, the folks on my team who are newer in their career, um, is that everybody is very interested in how the business runs and what the connection is to the business and making those connections, not only for themselves, but for the employees and the company. And so I do see the continuing trend of being much more involved in how the business runs um, and, you know, having the understanding of strategy. Um, I would say that my function as the head of people ops or, or HR, whatever it's called in the company that they're in, it's really about strategy and possibly even driving a lot more general strategic um, processes, particularly in smaller companies where you don't have a, like a chief strategy officer or something like that. Yeah. So I think that that's a, that's 
um, a way of really evolving the function because we do have a good purview. We have an overarching view of the company Um, and just being more involved in understanding the real nuts and bolts of the business, as we've been saying for years, I think then just adds to that and gives you more credibility as somebody who's trying to, um, you know, push strategy um, into the company. Um, I I also believe that there's going to be a lot more um, oversight around innovation and creativity um, and how that enables or puts at risk employees. Mm. Um, especially, you know, I keep coming up with AI mostly because you know, I hear it all the time yeah. right? like daily. Um, but I think that one of the things that we need to do and we will probably be doing is really watching that balance between innovation and, um, and uh, maybe going too far. Yeah, absolutely. Employees. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of where it's going. We do have to be really very fluent with data. We will continue to have to be very fluent with data, but what we have to do is get better at prediction at what do we do with that data? You know, when do we pay attention to it? Um, when is it important? When is it not important? Um, how much emphasis do we put on it? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Carolyn, this has been a great conversation. I have enjoyed just getting to know your brain and how it works in the realm of HR. Um, So if people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the the best way to do so? Yeah, probably the best way is send me an email at cmore at data.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, if you or anyone you know is like Carolyn who wants to help create a better space for people, email me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.